Well, good morning. Good morning. All right, how's everybody doing today? All right, well, I'm pretty excited here. I'm going to get my, uh, myself together, get ready to start this. All right, I want to open in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the sermon. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for the opportunity to come before you, Lord. We just ask that you would breathe upon this time, Lord Jesus, that you would, uh, that you would be here, God, that your word would be alive, living and active as it is in our hearts and in this place, Lord. I pray for your anointing to be upon the message, O oh God. Pray that your presence would be here, Lord Jesus, that our hearts would be a fertile field for these seeds to go into and fruit to come up in our lives, O oh God. May it be so alive and so powerful to us, Lord Jesus, that we come away changed by your word, O oh God. We love you. We seek your face this morning, and we give this time over to you, Lord Jesus, that you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning, I take this very serious whenever I get to come before you guys and share it's, uh, this sermon has been about three weeks in the making. It's extraordinarily long, and uh, I promise you'll be out by the end of third service for sure, because I should be done with all my thoughts on the Bible uh, by then. I actually, true story, first service I shared this, you know, as when I preach, these things just pop into my head. The first time I ever preached, I was, uh, it, was, it was a long time ago, it was probably, I don't know, 11, 12 years ago, I was interning at a church. And um, it was the first time I had the opportunity to speak, and it was at an evening service, and I literally preached for an hour and a half. I'm not even kidding. I think I hit every topic I could think of. Um, I must have had an outline that was throughout most of the Bible. And and Rachel kept crossing and uncrossing her legs trying to give me signals. So I learned to just, you know, I was like, my eye level hit about three pews right above her. So, uh, you know, I just didn't see the signals, so. It was uh, probably horrible to all involved. But, uh, so, needless to say, it won't be that long. But I do want to get into a subject that I was really nervous, uh, especially last night, first service, going into the message. I really felt the weight of it, uh, the responsibility of filling a pulpit, that when PT gets up here, I mean, it's just an extraordinary honor to sit and uh, minister under a pastor like that. And he is an incredible guy, so some big shoes to fill but I've taken this serious, and there's a lot of time that I've gone into this, a lot of prayer. And uh, the, the message, the name of the message is Feeling the Blast of Heaven. Feeling the Blast of Heaven. And we're going to be diving into the book of Habakkuk. He's an obscure minor prophet who ministered 2,600 years ago. And um, not a lot's known about it. I've never actually preached a message out of Habakkuk. And um, I learned a lot while getting ready for this. And I thought, if we can come out of here with a gra- somewhat of a grasp on the book of Habakkuk and being more in love and overwhelmed by the Bible than ever before. It will be a a great day. We're going to actually begin, not in the book of Habakkuk, (laughs) but if you go there, put something there, keep your finger there, because it takes a little while to, you know, you should find it by the end of the message. Romans chapter 1, it's right before 2nd Habakkuk. Uh, I'm just kidding, there's no 2nd Habakkuk. Romans chapter 1 verses 17 is a very famous verse. But I, I want you guys to have the understanding. I, I didn't realize this before preparing, but Romans 1.17 says this. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a rightness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, this was a big topic, a big revelation that Martin Luther brought about. In, uh, I mean, it was actually in the Word long before that, but 
in the church, they were teaching that, you know, you could be saved by your works, by good works and by donations and all these, these heretical things they were teaching. And Luther stood up against the face of the church and said, no, this is not correct. And uh, he taught that salvation is not earned by good deeds, but received only as a free gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as redeemer from sin. Now, that's something that we take for granted. But this was a huge revelation, and this was something that you could be killed for because you're standing up against a church that was actually not teaching that at that day. Habakkuk 2.4 states that the righteous will live by faith. Now, to me, that was an amazing thing because I didn't realize it. But when, when Paul read that, you know, when Paul wrote that and we read it, it says, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk is actually the one who God spoke that to, who uh, breathed that through Habakkuk. Let me read to you uh, a little excerpt from the, the Holman Commentary on Romans. This is about uh, starting Habakkuk 2.2. It says, paraphrased, God an- God's answer to Habakkuk was this. I'm about to reveal something to you, Habakkuk. I want you to record so that a herald may go and proclaim it, Habakkuk 2.2. It is a revelation of my righteousness. It will put to rest your fears of inaction and injustice. In the meantime, until my righteousness is revealed, you who are righteous are to trust me, to live by faith. There is nothing you can do to fix the situation. You will have to live by faith, not by sight, until what I have written is accomplished. Now, Habakkuk, he spoke these words, which influenced Paul, enough that Paul rewrote them. And uh, Paul influenced Martin Luther, who sparked the Reformation, changing the face of the church. I mean, brought about huge amount of change. I mean, we've all heard of Martin Luther. And, uh, and the thing that I, wa- I want to get is that the word, it's something that's so gripping, something that once it seeps into you, that you hold to as truth eternally, forever. And you see that Martin Luther, he believed, he read those words. He clinged to it so much that at the, at the Diet of Worms, at a trial that he was uh, standing for uh, his beliefs, the church who had him on trial said, will you recant? Will you renounce what you've written? Will you renounce what you've spoken and preached? And he believed what he wrote so much that he said, if I had a thousand heads that you could cut off, I would have them all cut off, but I will not revoke, I will not renounce what I've written, because it's in that book. Because it became a part of him. And I think too often when we read the Bible, and read it almost like we would a novel. It is not a novel, it's, it's breath, it is life, it is living, active revelation spoken by Almighty God to you and to me. Direct revelation to us. And that's it's our right. Now, Paul reads Habakkuk, and he knew the wicked times that he lived in resembled the time that Habakkuk lived in. They needed a revelation to cling to. He quoted the revelation that God spoke to Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's writings speak to Paul. Paul's writings speak to Martin Luther, who sparked the the, uh, Reformation. This revelation holds true to this day. It should be as revealing, it should be as real, it should be as disturbing to us today as it was 2,600 years ago. And this was a, a, a powerful thought. And, and they're looking at the oppression. There was, they were being oppressed by another nation, right, in Habakkuk's day. And in, in Paul's day, they were being oppressed by another nation. They were under Roman rule. They were not a, a Jewish, a free Jewish state. They were under Roman rule. That's why a lot of people thought when Jesus came, 
what was he going to do? He was going to raise up an army and he was going to overthrow Rome and he was going to make things right. But that wasn't the way. That wasn't what was going to happen. But the righteous will live by faith no matter what situation they were in, no matter what occupation they were under, no matter what regime they were under. The righteous will live by faith and knowing that God understands and knowing that God will come to the rescue in one way or another. Not always our way, but He will come in one way or another. Now back into uh, Romans before we really dive into Habakkuk. I want to read one more thing. Romans uh, 1, 16, starting there. We, we've all heard this scripture. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since uh, uh, Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now I want to point this out. This is something that I thought was really interesting. Because you see, you see in Habakkuk 2 that the revelation comes forth about, about the righteous will live by faith, right? He says right in the beginning of chapter 2 that write this down, make it plain, so a herald can take this up and can run with it and proclaim the words that the righteous will live by faith. Be ready for what is to come because the righteous will live by faith. That's what he said. Take these words and declare it. Because what was coming? In chapter 3, he dives directly into the wrath of God being poured out. Be ready for what is to come. And this is a revelation that Paul states. A revelation that Martin Luther states. Too often do we see the word wrath in the Bible and we kind of flip past it. Kind of get past that real quick. But we don't digest it. This book is like an overwhelming flood. How many of you have ever been at the beach and you're standing on the shore and all of a sudden a wave hits you and it hits you so hard it knocks you down, right? I've seen, you know, Naomi, when she was little, she was two, she wasn't afraid of the water. A wave hit her and knocked her over. She was afraid for about two years to let her toe touch the water because the power of that wave hit her. That's what this book is. It's power. It's like a tsunami that comes and wipes out a chunk of a country in one blow. That's what this book is. It's direct revelation. It's power. It's living. It's active. And it is alive in you and me today. We are feeling the blast of heaven. Now Habakkuk chapter 3, the first three verses, says this. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shaginoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. And wrath, remember mercy. When I first, I used to pray this prayer. I remember finding it a long time ago and I thought, wow, that's cool. I thought it was talking about, you know, renew your deeds, you know, renew your miracles, your signs, your wonders, all these awesome things. Start doing that stuff again and I would pray it. Not realizing until I was actually preparing for this sermon, that's not exactly what he's saying. What he's saying, because if you catch it, what's he say at the end of that? In wrath, remember mercy. I thought, I never really understood that fully. I'm like, that's kind of a weird way to end it, but whatever. You know, you know. I didn't write it. So, so I read that in Wrath, Remember, Mercy, but it never really stuck to me until recently. And I realized 
what that meant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that. I, think, I just want you guys to realize that we are standing on the edge, the cusp of something great in history. And right now, us as the church are being oppressed right now. We don't even realize it. We have to be aware. We have to be ready. We have to be full of faith to stand against what is to come. We have to be heralds of this, of the revelation that we've been entrusted to. We have to be heralds running throughout this earth and proclaiming that word. Because we read those things, it has to affect us. It has to invoke something in us. Now, that word, when it says, I stand in awe of your deeds, you know, you know, I've always, I guess I've always thought, like, that means, like, you know, hey, that's really cool, you know, like, wow, you know, wow, you know. So, I just can't really, you know, go into much more detail than that. But, <laughs> shockingly, that's not what it means. <laughs> so, I looked it up in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word is yare for, uh, for that word awe, okay? This is what it actually means in Hebrew, to fear, to revere to frighten, to be afraid, something that's dreadful, and uh, to be terrified, to be alarmed, to be filled with fear. That's what that word awe means. Why would he be saying that if it was just do some really neat miracles on the earth? So this is, this is the key that I've, I realize in Habakkuk 3, what it's really saying. When he says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe. I stand in dread. I stand terrified at your deeds, O Lord. Because what is He praying for? Renew them in our day. Renew. Pour out your wrath again on the face of the the earth, O Lord, because it's time. And that's why He says in wrath, remember mercy. Remember your mercy, O God, because I know that it's coming. I know that it's coming like a tsunami that's out to sea and it's on its way right now and there's nothing that we can do to get out of its way. I know that wrath is coming and it will wipe everything away. So he's actually praying for the wrath of God to be poured out on the face of the earth because it's coming. And we read about it. I mean, this is something that I I think we casually read. We don't realize that John prophesies it. Peter prophesies it. You see it in Habakkuk. You see it in Ezekiel. You see it in Daniel. You see it all throughout the Scripture. That wrath is coming. So be a herald. Be a proclaimer of the salvation of our God because wrath is coming. And when it comes, be full of faith so you can stand up in these dark times that we live in. Habakkuk 3, verses 4 through 6. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, and pestilence followed his steps. He stood, and he shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. There is a time coming that's so frightening, we can't even imagine. And what's being prayed right now is that it would come. What's being prayed right now is that it would renew in our day, because God, why is He famous? Why did people know who He was? They knew what He did to the Egyptians. They knew how, they, how He devastated the Egyptians, slaughtered them. They knew how God moved throughout the earth in wrath. And this is something that I, I, I have a picture in my head that this hit me last night when it said He stood up. It reminded me of a story. 
This is, this is not a great story to reflect upon for my moral character or my, you know, my righteousness. This is before I was a Christian. So I was in this union meeting. I was in the union, the local. I was an electrician apprenticeship a long time ago. And um, we had a union meeting because the guy, I worked on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. And uh, I worked there for a year and a half. They brought on a superintendent who, if you're not Christian, was a super jerk. And if you are Christian, you really needed the Lord, you know. So, I mean, you can pick. Uh, to me, he was a super jerk. So, but I wasn't a Christian. Remember that. Remember, that's the moral of this. Remember, I wasn't a Christian. Whatever happens from this point on in this story, remember, I wasn't a Christian at this time. So, we're in this meeting. Right? You guys will figure out. There's a thread that pulls us into the message. A really small one, but it's there. So we're sitting around, and we're having a union meeting. You know, everybody's sitting around. Usually people are angry, you know, stuff like that. It's similar to, like, a, a school board meeting when people are mad. And so we're sitting there, and everybody's taking their turn. And this guy, they brought him in from out of town, so already the local guys didn't like him because they didn't use a local guy. And, um, and this guy was just, he was always running his mouth and bad-talking, the union, the other guys we're working with. And, and so I was telling, I told the union directors, all right, this is what he's saying. This is what's going on. You know, they talked to a bunch of us. And in the middle of the meeting, he called me a liar. You know, he said that what I said, he said, follow that, what I said, he said, wasn't true. And be that as may, I was a liar. Um, I was not lying about this topic. <laughs> I happen to be telling the truth. <laughs> so, so I was full of indignation. I was mad, right? We're in the middle of this quiet meeting. Everybody's civilized. He calls me a liar. I stand up in the middle of the meeting. My chair hits the floor, and I berate this guy. I, I, I lay into him. I curse him out. I mean, I went for it. You know, it's dead quiet. He looks like a puppy you just kicked five times. You know, and did I need, did I need to knock the chair over? Why did I do it? For dramatic effect, right? I, I was like... It added an element of drama. It got everybody's attention. And, uh, and so, say that, because in this scripture, what's it say? He stood and shook the earth. Does the Lord Almighty need to stand up off of His throne to make a point? No. But He was so full of His righteous indignation. He was so full of His wrath that he literally stands up off of his throne. Enough is enough. And he steps down and he walks across the face of the earth. And in his footsteps, plague goes before him and pestilence in his steps. And he wipes out the inhabitants of everywhere he chooses to walk because death is in his feet. He comes and he pours out his wrath. He says, enough is enough. Now is the time. I will renew my deeds right now. You will know my fame. You will know that I am the one true and living God. And when I walk through the earth, I mean business. And that's what God is doing right here. He stood and He shook the earth and He looked and the nations trembled and the mountains and the hills collapsed upon themselves. I said, what can we do in the face of a living God who has come and now it's time for His wrath to be poured out? And, and God is saying, be a herald and run with this revelation and let people know the righteous will live by faith. So be righteous and live by faith. The prophet, Abraham Heschel said this. This is one of the most amazing commentators on the prophets I've ever written. He is a, he's a Jewish theologian, not even a Christian, and has such a deep view 
into the prophets. He says this, The prophet is human, yet he employs notes one octave too high for our ears. He experiences moments that defy our understanding. He's neither a singing saint nor a moralizing poet, but an assaulter of the mind. Often his words begin to burn where conscience ends. Now Habakkuk, he's getting ready to go into the past judgments that God has poured out, poured out on the face of this earth in uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 8. And I don't know why I keep doing this, but every service I close my Bible without something here. And then I've got to find Habakkuk again. It's quite a, quite a wonderful thing. I'm going to have... Woo! Wow! Yes! I'm getting so much better at this. Yep, that's right. That's right. Gonna save me because next time I probably won't be able to find it. Like, I know what's in here. I promise. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I know half of you guys have never heard of this guy. All right, Habakkuk, and the amazing thing is he wrote this 2,600 years ago. You know, I've always attributed the just shall live by faith, the righteous will live by faith to Paul. I just, I it, it stuck out in my mind is that until I realized it was this obscure minor prophet who wrote three little chapters of the Bible 2,600 years ago, and God spoke that through him. That will forever be his legacy. The just shall live by faith. Shook the modern church. All right, Habakkuk 3, verse 8. Now we're going we're gonna to listen to Habakkuk talking about, about the past uh, wrath that God has poured out when he stood up and shook the nations. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? When you rode with your horses and victorious chariots, you uncovered your bow and you called for many arrows and you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by and the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. The sun and the moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness and you stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. What's the end of that sound like? Sounds like when the Israelites had passed through the Dead Sea and the Egyptians said, we're going to go slaughter them. We're going we're gonna to go get them. We're going to ride down upon them with the force of the Egyptian army and we're going to take care of this rabble. And they came down and every one of them died. God churned up the seas and said, come on in. I want to chase my people. Come on in. You know what? They went in there and God crushed and poured out his wrath upon them. And he had already sent so many hor- horrific plagues against Egypt at this point. And, uh, and God pours out his wrath. Now, Habakkuk looks into God's future wrath that's going to be poured out. And, uh, and I want to point out that a lot of times we, we see this word, we read the word, and it doesn't impact us in the same way as it, did, as it did the writers. These guys were the pens of what God wanted to put into your hand and your heart now. This is God's revelation, direct revelation to you, and you have it in your hands now at this moment in history. And the shame is, a lot of times, we live as if the Lord is not returning, that judgment day is not coming, and eternity is not real. The way we live would point towards us believing a fairy tale, and not the living, breathing gospel, which is the power of God unto all those who would believe. 
It looks like a sham what we believe sometimes because of the way we live. It's, it's a sad thing. I don't understand why we choose to read the Word like it was a novel. You know, or it was written for Habakkuk. You know, it was, it was given to him, so it's his book. God gave it to him so that it would be our book. So it would be something that we would pick up, something that we would carry, and something that we would run with as a part of who we are, as a part of our DNA. Let me read to you a little piece of uh, Revelation. I, I've read this before. I just want to read a tiny excerpt from Revelation 19. I want you guys to listen to this. 11 through 13. We're only going to read a couple verses here. This is a picture of what's to come. This is a picture of what's foretold. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Jesus, God, is saying, you know what? I'm standing up off my throne again, and I'm mounting my horse, and I know it's going to get messy. You know he's meaning business when he takes his robe and dips it in blood and puts it on. My wrath, the cup of my wrath is full, and I'm coming down for vengeance. I'm coming down to pour out my wrath. I mean, it's, some, it's such a horrific scene. I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's worse than any horror movie you can conjure up. It's worse than any atrocity that's ever happened on the face of this earth. And this is when our God returns. This is what we pray for. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We are praying for the great and dreadful day of our God when His vengeance will be poured out upon the face of the earth. That's what we're praying for. At this moment in history, an angel goes out and calls every bird from the sky around the earth to come for the great feast of God where He will feed great warriors and generals and the flood of armies of, of men mighty and great and small. He said, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to have a slaughter like there's never been on the face of this earth. Come for the great supper of God. I'm preparing it. I'm coming in a robe dipped in blood because now is that time. Now is the time for the wrath of God to be poured out. This is serious. And this is the hour that we are praying for to come. Now I want to ask ourselves a couple things. Now we see Moses. This is a man who stood face to face with the Almighty God. This is a man who walked up the mountain and stood in the presence of God. The Israelites from the first meeting said, whoa, 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 way too real. This is way too real for me. Moses, you go and do it. Come back and tell us what he says. That's what we do when we read the Bible. Whoa, this is way too real. Okay, maybe I'll listen to a sermon and then, you know, you can tell us what to do. I don't need the direct revelation. The Israelites did need it. But like Moses, are we called to be distant from God? unlike Moses, or to tread upon the holy ground. Moses, take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. You're in a moment right now where you're standing directly in front of the living God, the God of all creation. With the high priest in mind, are we called to the outer courts where it's safe, the courts of the Gentiles, where the presence really is not? 
Are we called like the high priest to enter in to the Holy of Holies, that most holy place where the presence of God is visible and powerful? And if you were not right before Him, they had bells on their robes. So if they died because they were unworthy, they could drag Him out, drag His body out of the Holy of Holies. It's a scary place to enter in, correct? Every one of us is now called into the Holy of Holies. That's why the veil was rent. That's why the way was opened up for Jesus and purchased with His blood and the wrath was poured out upon Jesus. So we could go into the Holy of Holies. Like Jeremiah, we must feel the blast of heaven and not be content with the distance between us and God. No matter how scary being that close to God really is, we can't be content with the distance. A lot of us like to distance ourselves. A lot of us like to feel safe. Sure, we like to lock our front doors at night. Sure, we like walls up around us because we feel safe. But we build these walls around ourselves thinking that God can't see what's inside my heart. Thinking God can't see what I do and what I think. But God most certainly can. We can't hide anywhere on the face of this earth. We can't hide in hell because God's eyes are revealing everywhere and everything in us. And like Jeremiah, we must feel the blast of heaven. Jeremiah, he says, your word is like a fire shut up in my bones. Let me point something out here if it's not super obvious. Fire in your bones would not feel good. Your marrow boiling inside of you would not feel good. I don't care who you are or how tough you are. That's not going to feel good. So Jeremiah is not just being poetic and cool when he goes, your word's like a fire in my bones, you know? So I just have to speak, you know? That's why I do what I do. No, he's saying, your word is painful if I do not proclaim it. If I'm not a herald of your word, I am in physical pain, O God. But do we choose to step back and step away from that? The prophet's words are a scream in the night when the world is at ease and asleep The prophet feels the blast from heaven. It's like when you're in a deep sleep and you're loving it. You are out cold. You are loving this sleep. I mean, you are out. And it's like somebody taking a bucket of ice water, boom, and hitting you in the face with it. (gasps) You wake up, first, completely shocked, usually followed by a bunch of anger because it's either like a sibling or a friend that usually would do that to you. Um... But the point is, your system is shocked on overload, right? Think like I had uh, mentioned that river I dove into a couple years ago. I mentioned this a while ago. When when we were in for a wedding, it was 105 in Oregon. And the one kid I was helping set up the wedding, he goes, do you want to go swimming? Sure. Did not tell me that the river wasn't even 50 degrees. It's glacier runoff. He's like, this is the coldest river we have. And we're in Oregon, right? And he goes, he goes, um... He goes, don't touch the water. Just jump in. He's like, Cause he, I guarantee you won't get it. And I'm thinking, I don't want to swim. In. I mean, I'm not as hot as I was a minute ago. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm really not that hot. You know, they swim across this rushing river. So I eventually, after 10 minutes of conjuring up, you know, the guts, I dive in. And I come up and I'm like, <gasps> I'm not swimming. I'm being right, like swept downstream. I'm like, oh, it's cold. <laughs> You know, it was just system overload. And that's what it is. And, and we read this and we think, well, that was the prophets. Those, those were their reactions. 
Yeah, those were their reactions as they wrote down the direct revelation to you. So what is your reaction to this book? What is God speaking to you? Let me share with you Habakkuk's response to what is to come. In verse 16, he says this, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the nation invading us. Though the fig tree bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, this is heavy duty right now that he's talking about. He's talking about we've got no food, we've got no oil, we've got no wheat, we have nothing. We have nothing. He goes, even though there is nothing, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go upon the heights. For the director of music on the stringed instruments. You know what's interesting about that? At the beginning of this, verse, uh, chapter 3, he says a prayer of Habakkuk. At the end, his prayer has become his song. And he's singing, no matter how bad it gets, I will rejoice in God my Savior. No matter what is to come, I will rejoice in my God. Because He gives me strength. I can walk upon the high places. That's what God does for us. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but in 16, you hear his reaction. I heard in my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my leg trembled. These are at the words of our God. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. What's the nation invading us? It's the world. The world is the nation that's invading us. We are under occupation of the world because the world has infiltrated the church. The world has taken over a lot of the church. Our hearts worship at all these different idols. We bow down to all these different idols and altars and we worship at them instead of at the foot of our Savior. And our hearts pulled in all these different directions. I have to have this. I have to have that. Did you see what my neighbor got? I have to get something nicer than them. I have to be this. I have to be that. I have to be like them. We worship at all these different altars. Our, our, our body, our soul is pulled in all these different directions because the world is invading us and trying to make this into a novel. Trying to make this something that sits on our desk and gets dusty. Something that when we read it, it doesn't grip us. It doesn't tear us apart inside and out. It doesn't cause our soul to tremble inside of us. I have another quote for you guys from Abraham Heschel. And this, is, this is something that I want you guys to realize. You say, you see these quotes from the prophets, right, that I've been reading? You go, well, I'm no prophet. You know what? You have a book that's full, full of prophecy and telling what is to come. And you know what's to come, and the world doesn't. The world does not know what's coming, but you have that responsibility on you that you know what is to come. Because one day, the wicked will perish and wake up in eternal torment. And what are we going to do with that revelation? Are we going to be heralds of it, like in Habakkuk? Are we going to take it, and are we going to run with it? Or are we going to let them fall? 
To the person endowed with prophetic sight, everyone else appears blind. To a person whose ear perceives God's voice, everyone else appears deaf. The prophet hates the approximate. He shuns the middle of the road. Man must live on the summit to avoid the abyss. And you know what we do as a church? A lot of times, we walk on the fence, right? Whoa, whoa. We walk on the fence. I would walk on the edge, but I'd probably fall off. And, uh, and so, I did a last service, and I thought I was going to fall, so I decided to stay back a little bit. But, a lot of times, we are willing to live on the fence with one foot in the church, one foot in the world, one foot in heaven, and one foot in hell. We're willing to try and balance on this. And you're never truly happy because your heart is never at home and just when, you're, when it's divided in two different places like that. When heaven is calling you, but you still, well, I still want, I still want my way of life here. I still want to look the same to my coworkers or my friends or my family. But heaven is calling and saying, you cannot live down the middle of the road like that. You, can't, you need to live on the summit to avoid the abyss. We need to live with this word being an overwhelming, powerful, rushing force that overtakes our life and dictates who we are. I have one more scripture to share with you. Second Peter, I'm going to end here. Three. Second Peter 3, verses 9 to 15. Give you a little picture of what's to come. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's key right there. That's why we're a herald. That's why we proclaim that the righteous will live by faith and can survive anything. He wants everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as He wrote our dear brother Paul, and gave him the wisdom that God gave him. Just think about that. He brings up Paul as he talks about salvation and wrath. And Paul looks back at, at Habakkuk who talks about the faith, the salvation, and then the wrath that's to come. And saying, God wants salvation for every human. That's why we must be heralds of the revelation. And not read this in a different way that God spoke directly to the prophets and they trembled. That's what this should do to us. We should tremble at the awesome power and the responsibility that we carry around with us and that lives inside of us. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes. Our hearts should be laid bare within us. and We should respond to the reality of God in the same way the prophets and apostles of old did. This book should affect us inside and out. When we read these words, may our tremble at the realities spoken to us and may we feel the blast of heaven lord jesus i thank you for this time we thank you for the reality of your word may it be a burning fire in our lives god 
May we be heralds of it. May we take it up as a scroll and run to the ends of the earth proclaiming Your truth, O God. And may we bring as many to salvation as we can and have them flee from the coming wrath, O God. May Your Word be something that's so real, so vivid, alive and true that when we read it, our bodies physically tremble. We feel like Habakkuk, the decay in our bones, God, and we shudder to think at what's to come. Yet we still pray, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We call out for You and for Your return, O God. And we ask that You give us the strength and the authority to see as many lives ushered into the Kingdom as possible, Lord. May this book be real to us. May we feel the blast of heaven. In Your precious name, Jesus, we love You. Amen.